encouraged. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking today at verses 47 through 52. And uh, this is the last of the parables that we'll be looking at in chapter 13. We went over like seven or eight parables or stories that have a, an, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning, a heavenly meaning. And this is, uh, I think they've all been real good, but I think this one here today, if this is the last one, this is also the hardest one. This is definitely the hardest one that I've had to study. I think it'll be the hardest one for you guys to hear. And I don't mean that in that it'll be difficult for us to understand. I think it'll be hard for us to hear. This is a very, very sobering truth that Jesus presents at the end. I think it's the climax of all the parables. And what he's going to show us here, and, and this is, again, hard to hear, is what happens to people who reject Jesus Christ. And he paints for us here not a very pretty picture. I think some of these parables, he is painting pictures in our minds with these stories. And these, these pictures that he paints are beautiful. I, I sit here and I draw pictures of them in my notes. I, I've enjoyed it. I, I've, I've had a great time drawing these pictures and showing, trying to show you guys the picture that he paints. I didn't want to draw this picture. This is a bitter truth. But sometimes, and I'll say all times, the most bitter truths are better than the sweetest lies. So I want you to hear today what happens to unbelievers, what happens to those who reject Jesus Christ. And I titled the sermon, The Fate of Unbelievers. This is where people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, this is what happens to them. And we need to hear this. He's not just talking to lost people as a warning to them. This isn't to them. He's, he's got his disciples in a small group right now, and he is describing to them what happens to unbelievers to show them how serious the task of sharing the gospel is. Here's what happens to people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. This is the fate of unbelievers. So let's stand together and let's read this story. Let's read this parable. Again, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I'm going to read verses 47 through 52 and place this before your eyes before we study it today. And this is, it's been, again, seven or eight stories, parables that we've went through during this pandemic. And it's, it's been good for us. It's been good for the church. So verse 47 he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to the shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not a pretty picture. Then Jesus said unto them, to the disciples, Have you understood all these things? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord, we have. Verse 52, Then he said unto them, Therefore, because you understand it, every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things that are new and old. And what he's saying there is, if you understand these parables, this parable in particular, then you're working with a full deck. You have full understanding of both the old and the new. These parables give us great understanding of, of where unbelievers are going to go when they die. So let's pray together, and then we'll study the fate of unbelievers. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, the sobering truths of your word. I, I love the sweet truths. I do. I loved what I preached last Sunday on, on the, the eternal value of Jesus Christ. And God, I, I even love the, the hard truths, the, the sobering truths like this. And I believe many people wouldn't even believe them if they didn't come out of the Savior's mouth. But here it is. It's set in front of us. And God, we need to understand it. We need to know where our loved ones will go if they don't believe in Jesus. We need to know where our friends, what will happen to our friends if they don't believe in Jesus. What will happen to our family if they don't believe in Jesus. What will happen to people that we work with if they don't believe in Jesus. 
And this should set a fire in our bones to make us to want to go and share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with because we want nobody to have the fate of unbelievers. So teach us these great truths today, these sobering truths, these difficult truths. And let us take them to heart. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You've, you've often had people look at you and ask you if you want, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you. Which one do you want first? And that's what I'm standing here in front of you today to say, I've, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And if I ask you which one you'd want first, I don't know which one you'd want. If a doctor walked into you and said, I've got good news and I've got bad news, for me, I'd say, give me the good news first. I think we need good news. And in our world right now, we hear enough bad news, we need the good news. So I want to give you the good news first. I want to start off on a positive note. I want to give you the good news. And here's the good news. And it may be the, not just the good news, it may be the best news that you've ever heard. It may be the best news that your ears have ever heard in, in your entire life. And here it is. And I've summarized it in a, in a very succinct statement. Here is the best news that you'll ever hear or that you'll ever tell anybody else. Here it is. Salvation has been made available to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the best news that you'll ever hear. That's salvation. And when you say, what is salvation? It is that my sins can be forgiven, I can escape hell, and I can enter into heaven. That's salvation. And we all want that, do we not? I want my sins forgiven. I want them wiped away. I want it to be clean just as if I never sinned. That's salvation. My sins to be forgiven. I definitely want to escape hell. Ask anybody in this room. You can ask the youngest kids in this room right now. Do you want to escape hell? Yes, I do. Do you want to enter to heaven? Amen. Tell me how I can do that. It's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that has been offered to you. I love that statement. It's so succinct. Salvation has been made available to you. To you. You can have your sins forgiven. You can escape hell. You can enter into heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whosoever. This is a free offer. No, nothing you have to pay. Nothing in your hands you bring. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall have their sins forgiven. Shall escape hell. Shall enter into heaven. That is the best news that any ear can hear. And that's the news that Jesus has been sharing. I love that. For 13 chapters, Jesus has been going out and sharing that good news. I'm here. Salvation is available. You can have it if you'll just believe in me. What a message. That's the message the church ought to be sharing. That's what Jesus has been doing. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. That's our message. There's an old Puritan that said this, that our job number one is to go to every man and say, I have good news for you. There is a Savior for you in Jesus Christ. Go to the world and tell them that. Post that on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. That is the best news that anybody will ever hear. We ought to say it with a smile on our face. There is salvation available to you in Jesus Christ. What good news. That's the kind of news you want to preach right there, is it not? The sweetest news I've ever heard. Salvation has been made available to me. And it's free of charge. When Jesus said it's finished, you know what that meant? There's nothing for me to do but believe in Him. In His work, in His person, in what He did and who He is. Salvation has been made available to you. You say, Josh, that's good news. You all should be saying amen. I think you should be. In my heart of hearts, I'm saying amen and amen. My sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. 
Praise the Lord for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Us preachers, we have good tidings to share. Smile on your face. Salvation has been made available to you in Jesus Christ. You say, Josh, I know you're heading towards bad news now. You better believe I am. Here comes the bad news. Is that good news can be rejected. Jesus has been repeatedly sharing this gospel. I love the word euangelion is the gospel, the good news. And he's been repeatedly rejected over and over and over for 13 chapters. His family has rejected him. The Pharisees have rejected him. The people have rejected him over and over and over. And even in these parables, he says there's going to be tares among the wheat. Three out of the four souls that we've seen were bad and only one received the seed. So he's telling us over and over and over that there will be much rejection in our world. There will be constant rejection in our world. That that good news will be presented to the world and the world will consistently and constantly say no to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That salvation has been made available to you in Jesus and they will look back at you and they'll say no, I will have none of that. It can be and it will be rejected. And it often will be rejected. There are people in this room who have rejected the gospel. There's people on the live stream right now that are listening that have rejected the gospel. They've turned down the good news. So the question now that Jesus is going to give them at the end of his parables in this chapter is what happens to those people who reject? Our world today tells us that what happens to people who reject Jesus is no different than those who believe in Jesus. But Jesus makes a stark contrast here between those who believe and get their sins forgiven and go to heaven and those who reject and end up in hell. He shows us here in this picture the bad news. And I say that the gospel is the best news that you'll ever hear. Well, the rejection of the gospel is the worst news that you'll ever hear. And I hate today that I'm sharing with you the The bad news, because that's what this is. And Jesus gives the bad news like he has all the other news in a very familiar story. He tells them a fishing story, a story that is very familiar to them. It's their occupation. It's their livelihood. It's the details that they know a whole lot about. So when he tells them this story, they're going to say, ha-ha, I get it. I understand that. And in this story, he speaks of judgment. You see that in verse 49. I want you to look down at it there. So shall it be at the end of the world. So what he's saying there is when everything is said and done. When Jesus comes a second time, not as a sin-bearing Savior, but as the sovereign judge of all mankind. This isn't when he comes with the good news. This is when he comes back with the bad news. And he's going to come back with bad news. And we need to warn people of the bad news. He's coming back not as a sin-bearing Savior, but as a sovereign judge of all men. He's coming back not with a cross, but with a sickle to reap his harvest on the earth. That's how he's coming back. This is the the end of the age, the end of the world. He's coming back and he wants us and he wants them to see what happens at the end. Why is he doing this? To show his disciples the seriousness of their task that's ahead of them. To show them what's at stake in their preaching ministry. This is good for preachers. Here's what's at stake for us. Here's why we get up and preach the gospel every single Sunday. Here's why we don't play games. Here's why we don't do foolish things. Here's why we make it our job, our task, our primary duty as a church to preach the gospel because what we do has serious consequences. There's a lot of churches out there that's just playing games. There's a lot of Christians that's that's being very frivolous in how they live their lives. This is not a game. 
He wants them to see this. This has serious consequences for those around you, for those you preach to, and for those you love. Take this very, very serious. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This has eternal consequence. This is serious. There's souls on the line. And for unbelievers, he wants them to see. And that's the two applications. If you're here today and you're a believer, we need to take the gospel very serious. And if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, I want you to see the consequences of, uh, of not believing in Christ. So let's look at this. Let's, let's go to the end, to the end of the world, and let's see the fate of unbelievers. Again, this is a bitter truth. But wouldn't you rather me tell you the bitter truth than a sweet lie? Wouldn't you? Nobody said amen there, but I assume you do. <laughs> so let's look at this. I'm going to give you three points as we work our way through these verses, as we see the fate of unbelievers. I want to show you first of all, and I'm going to show you what happens to unbelievers, just step by step through the, the process of what's going to happen to unbelievers in the end. Starting with number one, I want to show you the unavoidable death. The unavoidable death of unbelievers. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So unbelievers are going to die, no matter how far they, how, how far they think they can go, and, and if they can run from it, if they can get healthy and, and not die. Get this, one and one die. There's only two certainties, they say, in life, death and taxes. So death is a certainty, and that's the unavoidable death that he's going to talk about in this parable. As you look down in verse 47, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into, sea, into the sea. And it gathered of, of every kind. You say, what is this? It, it's a fishing story. So I'm going to give you a fishing lesson. I'm not a master fisherman. I should probably get Roger up here to give us a story about fishing. But I, I don't know a whole lot about fishing. I could probably count on one hand how many fish I've caught in my life. But there's three types of fishing in the Bible. I, I'm a, I do know my Bible, so I can look through the Bible and see what kind of fishing they have. And there's three types of fishing. There, the first type of fishing is where you go out and you have a rod and a reel, and you go out and you catch one fish at a time. You guys know that. that that's, that's obvious. You go out, and, and it's a line and a hook, and you, you throw it out there, and you bring one in, and, and it's one at a time. That's a simple way of fishing. Number two is when you go out and you cast a net, one person, one net, and you go out and you stand probably knee-deep in the water, and you throw the net out in there, and you pull it back in, and you catch a whole bunch of fish. Okay? The third kind, and the kind that we're talking about here, is a drag net. This is a, a net that a business would use, or a, a uh, commercial fisherman would use, a professional fisherman would use, and they take a sometimes a half mile long drag net and they would tie one end to one boat and one end to the other boat and it had weights on the bottom and floaters on the top and they'd drop it in the water and those boats would go and the net would go all the way to the bottom of the sea and it would drag everything with it as it went and in that net it would catch every single thing nothing escaped that net i mean you're getting the good fish the bad fish you're getting cans you're getting trash whatever's down there you're pulling it up and they just drag it across the sea between two boats Catching everything. I even drew a picture of it, if you guys want to see it after church. I got a boat here and a boat there, and I got a big net. It's a beautiful picture. <laughs> I want to write a book, a picture book of sermons. But it shows here a massive catch. You're not catching one fish. You're not catching a, a, a bucket of fish. You're catching a, a boatload. Now, that's a good term for it. You're catching a boatload of fish. Every top, again, the dragnet catches everything. When a cop wants to do a, a dragnet, 
through a town to try to find suspects. They're, they're checking everywhere and everybody. That's what this is talking about. Nothing gets past the net. It's unavoidable. No fish is going to swim through the net. Everything gets caught. You, you, you get where this is going now? So we see here, well, you say, what is this net? This, this net is the end time judgment. It is death. It's catching everybody and everything. And nobody escapes that death net. It's not a drag net. It's a death net. And God is, it says the angels here, not us. That's why some people say it's a gospel net and we're out there throwing it. No, no, no. It says the angels are throwing it. And the angels are throwing the net out and it slowly just moves across the sea of humanity. And it's pulling up fish one at a time in that net. Boatloads at a time in that net. And everybody gets caught. And the angels are catching the fish, which is humanity, and slowly pulling every fish onto the shores of eternity. Everybody ends up in the net. And everybody ends up on the shore. Nobody escapes it. Nobody gets away. Sooner or later, I like that, sooner or later, everybody gets caught in the net and ends up in eternity. Nobody escapes it. Everybody will end up in the net. We must understand that. And here's the application to this point, is that the day is coming. The world is on a countdown. Revelation 14, I think it says that there's an hour, there's a day, there's a month, and there's a year when Jesus will come back and, and pull all people into, in, into eternity. Right now, there's an appointment unto death. For every single one of us. I don't know your appointment. You don't know my appointment. But every single individual in this room has an appointment with death that you will meet and you will not skip. I get appointments with doctors and then it'll be a month down the road. And I'll say, okay, I'll go then. We'll get about a day or two out and I'm like, Steph, reschedule. I don't want to go. Schedule it for a month later. <laughs> and, and usually she's like, no, 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 you're going to go. And I'm like, you know what, I just don't feel like going today. i got something going on at the church. <laughs> Let's reschedule again for June. Let's reschedule for July. And here we get to where you're like a year, a year later, and I still ain't been to the doctor. We just keep wanting to push off that schedule, push off that appointment, push off that time. That's what everybody in humanity is trying to do. They're pushing it off to a later time. The devil is great at trying to tell us that we will not meet judgment. Push it off, push it off, push it off. It'll never happen. It'll never come. I'm young. I'm healthy. I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. Sooner or later, that dragnet is going to catch every single one of us. It's appointed and a man wants to die and then the judgment. We all have an appointment. And right now, get this, I, th I think this is such a good story. Right now we're all just fish in the, in the ocean. Fish are the people, the ocean is the world, and we're just swimming right along. Doing our own thing, think we're as free as we can be. And have no idea when that net's going to just swap us out. And you know how fish react? They're all free and doing whatever they want to do. I even drew a fish. <laughs> we're all free and doing whatever we want to do you know just when that fish gets caught in that net it's when it starts going crazy I've not done a lot of fishing but I've seen fishing when those fish get caught in that net they start squirming they start going every, every which way trying to get loose and that's exactly how unbelievers will be when they think they're so free and do whatever they want to do and, and go wherever they want to go and live however they want to live and, and do, do just live their life as free as they can be. And one day that dragnet gets them. And they start kicking and screaming and doing everything they can to stop it. 
I have seen unbelievers on their deathbed do everything they can to try to hold on. To push off that appointment. And they're scared to death. 2 Peter 3.10 says that it comes like a thief in the night. At your appointment with death or Jesus' second coming, one way or the other, we're all going to meet death. Every single one of us. Nothing, nobody escapes the, the death net. People have been looking for the fountain of youth since time began. Anything to help me live longer. Here we are right now in the middle of a pandemic and everybody's scared to death of death. I'm not saying anything political. I'm not saying anything about health. I'm no doctor. I don't, I don't know. But I'll tell, the, I'll tell you this. Everybody's scared to death of death. We're scared to get out. We're wearing our masks. We're sitting in our houses. Everybody's scared to death of death. But whether it be corona or whether it be a car accident, the net is going to catch you and you will not miss your appointment. The day is coming. The day of reckoning is moving closer and closer. The appointment is getting here. And every day that you live, you're a day closer to that net catching you and pulling you to the shores of eternity. Death is coming. So there's point number one. We see the death of unbelievers. Number two. That verse in Hebrews says it's appointed a man wants to die. And then what? The judgment. Because once you die, that's the second one. There's a dividing. I call it the ultimate dividing of unbelievers. Because he says here that once this happens, what, what's the parable here in verse 48? Which when it was full, I like that, when the fullness of time comes, when it's ready, they drew it to the shore. And they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they cast the bad away. I mean, this is an easy story. The net is full of all kinds of fish. I said that. It gets everything. It gets everything from the bottom of the sea all the way to the top. I mean, you're catching everything. You're getting the good and the bad. You're getting the clean and the unclean. You're getting the edible and the, and the inedible. You're getting everything that you can possibly pull up in that net. So when they pull it all to the shore and they open it all up and there's this big a catch of, of all these different types of fish and they're all on the shore you're going to look at them because you can't tell what they are in the sea. But when you get them to the shore, this is such a good point. You can't tell what everybody, who everybody is and if they're believers in the world. But when you pull them into eternity, it's easy to tell. So he pulls them into eternity and on the shore there, you see that some are, are good and some are edible and some are to be kept and others are rotten and corrupt and decaying and worthless and they're to be cast away. So he takes these these. Fishermen will take and divide. Good pile, bad pile. It's like when we clean out our rooms, our kids' rooms. Take the, the toys you want to keep and the toys you want to throw away. Throw away pile, keep pile. I'll be back in an hour. You come back in an hour and there's no toys, but maybe they're, they're brother's toys, <laughs> or in the throw away pile. And everything's in the keep pile. I love everything. <laughs> They're not very good at dividing. But the fishermen will see it and meticulously go through and say this is good and this is bad. This is something we can eat 
And this is something that we can't. This is clean and this is unclean. This is worth something. I can sell that. And this is worthless. I cannot. And sets them in two different piles. So unbelievers will first die and then they'll face division. Judgment. Judgment is discerning. Judgment is dividing. Judgment is taking things and putting them into two categories. So when the world says judge not, that's what they're saying. Don't put me in this category and you in this one. So there's going to be a dividing after death into, into two different categories. And who's doing the dividing? Look what it says in verse 49. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth. You see that? Who's doing the judgment? God's agents of judgment are angels. We saw that in verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and which do iniquity. We saw that we'll see that in chapter 24 and chapter 25. I'll read you a passage in Revelation if you want me to. You don't have to turn there, but I, I think it, it does uh, show us what he's talking about here at the end. Revelation 14 says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel, you see that, came out of the temple crying with a loud voice unto him that said on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And that he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel, verse 18, and another angel. It goes on in verse 19, and the angel. Over and over and over, the angel is the, the agent of judgment. And the angel comes, it says, and severs. You see that? Separates divides, judges, makes the final judgment, the wicked on one side and the just on the other. The wicked and the just, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. Two categories. And notice that. It's only two categories. The world likes to put everybody in, in, in 20 different categories. You know, there are categories everywhere. But when you get into eternity, and I say even now, there's only two categories of people in the world. And in eternity, there's only two categories of people that will go into eternity. And, and the angels are separating us, and they're doing it in, in meticulous ways. And, and they're, they're doing it in, in exact ways. And they're doing it with a, like a precision knife. And they're separating those that, are, those that are just and those that are wicked into two categories. And, and again, I want you to see this. this it's, the two categories are not the good and the bad. Because we're all bad, and that would just be one category. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. So if it was, all, if it was good and bad, there would be nobody in the good category. Because we're all bad. It's not religious and not religious, or church and not church, or baptized and not baptized. That's not how it is. I had a guy tell me a story just the other day. Uh, I, was, I don't get to see a whole lot of people right now, so sharing the gospel is kind of limited. Six feet away, you know. I got good news for you. <laughs> With a mask on. <laughs> Sounds more like, I'm going to hear you. you. <laughs> that was silly. Tommy asked me if I was going to preach with a mask on. I said, that, that would be a show. I'm talking about sweat. But I was sharing the gospel with a guy the other day. You know, sort of distancing. Doing, doing my, my part. <laughs> and he said, he's trying to tell me. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm all right. I said, tell me why you're all right. 
Tell me, tell me, you stand before God. What's, what's your entrance in? He said, I had a preacher come to me one time and said, when am I going to get you in the baptistry? He said, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for that yet. And then he, he, he come back and he said, well, and one day that pastor got me in the baptistry and that's why I'll get into heaven. I've got bad news for you. Baptism won't get you into heaven. That's not the good news. What you do will not get you into heaven. What Jesus did upon the cross is what gets you into heaven. So the categories are, again, are not, I'm good, I get to go to heaven, and I'm bad. I don't, because we're all bad. The categories are not, I went to church, and I didn't go to church, because there's going to be people that went to church that's going to end up in hell. It's not, I got baptized, and I didn't get baptized, because there's going to be people that got baptized that end up in hell. It's not, I, I, I gave money. I, you can give money. Those things are fine and dandy. But he's not separating things in that way. There's two categories. And I want you to see this. It's those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. That's your two categories. Jesus separated time between B.C. and A.D., Jesus separates us now, believers and unbelievers, and Jesus is the separation in eternity. Those who believe get into heaven, and those who don't go to hell. That's how it's separated. And I don't know about you guys, but that makes Jesus Christ absolutely essential. Without Him, you go to hell. This is a believe Him or not question. So who's out? <laughs> Look at this. I don't know if you guys want to bear with me on this, but watch what it says. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels will come forth and sever the wicked from the just. <laughs> Who's the wicked? Who's out? Who's not getting in? The wicked stands for all types of sinners. I'm going to, I'm going to take and show you some sinners. Just types. I want to show you 1 Corinthians 6. You can, you can read it. You can go with me if you want to. Just so you see that I'm not making this up. All types of sinners. That's what wicked means. All types. Not one category, but all categories of sinners. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous, there's another term for wicked, shall not inherit or enter into the kingdom of God be not deceived who's in this category over here of the wicked watch neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor the effeminate nor the abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor executioners none of these in this category shall enter into the kingdom of God they are in a category of wickedness those types of people are in the category of the wicked and then he says this and I love this here's the other category uh, and such were 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 past tense used to be some of you we were all like that at one point but what happened to us we believed in Jesus and we were saved that's the difference look what he says in verse 11 and such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God that's the difference we were all like that until we believed in Jesus. 
We were all revilers. We were all uh, adulterers and, and idolaters. And we were all that type of people until we believed in Jesus. And those things were washed away. And it was made just as if we never sinned because of what Jesus did. What's the difference between those who go to hell and those who go to heaven? Believing in Jesus Christ. I'll even say this. All types of sinners and all types of religions are in that category of the wicked. This is not politically correct, but there's going to be Muslims. All Muslims will be in the category of the wicked. They don't believe in Jesus, do they? Name any religion that doesn't believe in Jesus. And I can just go down the list. The Muslims, the Hindus, the Mormons don't believe in the right Jesus. They've got their own made-up Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses are the same thing. They're all in a category of, we don't believe in Jesus, so you end up in the category of the wicked. That's not politically correct. If you don't believe in Jesus and seek Him for forgiveness, you're going to be in the category of the wicked. How do we get in the category of the just? The ones who are righteous and cleansed and saved, sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. By faith in His person and who He is, who He really is. Do not be deceived. Understand, Jesus is the, the sin-bearing, Son of God, Savior of mankind. That's who He is. Don't be deceived by those who give you a wrong Jesus. He's the perfect Savior. He's the virgin-born Savior. He's the one who kept the law when we could not. He's the one who went to the cross and became sin for us. Who, were, who was without sin? He's the one who, who took our punishment, who, who took the, the wrath of Almighty God upon Himself, who took it, who died, who was buried, and who was risen again. That's the Jesus we believe in. And if you don't believe in Him, you're on the side of the wicked. That's not a popular topic today, but it's the truth. Faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Again, this makes Jesus... The separator. <laughs> this makes Jesus the divider. This makes Jesus the difference maker. Now and in eternity. And I've already said it, but I want to say it again. This makes Jesus absolutely essential. They open up the, the, the stores for us to get food. Jesus is the bread of life. They want us to have drink. He's the water that we drink and we'll never thirst again. Jesus is absolutely essential. We can go to the clothing stores and get clothes. Jesus clothes us in His own righteousness. He is absolutely essential. Which makes the church absolutely essential. Why? Because we preach Jesus to the world who's dying, not of the coronavirus, but in their sins. They need the gospel now more than ever. If the church isn't essential, you might as well turn the lights off on the world because we're the light of the world. We're essential. That's political, Josh. It is. That's fundamental is what it is. And anybody who says otherwise is tragically mistaken. Tragically mistaken. I've got to move on. We started early. I can preach longer. Somebody say amen to that one. <laughs> we started 10 minutes early. I get an hour and 10 minutes today. Tommy told me, he said, if I go to, if, if I preach too long today, he's going to start coughing and everybody's going to spread out. <laughs> you ain't coughing yet, are you, Tommy? Not yet. 
<laughs> so we've seen the death of unbelievers. We've seen the div dividing of unbelievers. Now we get to the doom. The indescribable doom of unbelievers. And I added that word at the beginning, the indescribable doom. Because there's no way to describe hell. Martin Luther said this. He said, nothing on earth can compare with it. No living person has any real, real idea of it. No madman in his wildest flights of insanity ever beheld its horror. No, no man in delirium ever pictured a place so utterly terrible as this. No nightmare racing across a fevered mind ever produced a terror to match the mildest hell. No murder scene with splashed blood ever suggested a, suggested a, rev, a revulsion that could touch the borderlands of hell. Let the most gifted rider exhaust his skill in describing this roaring cavern of unending flame and he would not even brush and fancy the nearest edge of hell. So I titled this point the indescribable doom of unbelievers. It says in verse 48, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels. And what did they do with the bad? They cast the bad away. They cast the bad away. Do you see that? They cast it away. That word cast, you guys know how maybe Roger could explain it to you after church, that if you get a fish that you don't want to keep, you, you throw, you, isn't that what you do with it? You throw it back. You cast it back. You, you, you throw it. It's, it's not any good, so you throw it back in the, in the water. And that's what they're describing here. You get rid of it. If it's something rotten or corrupt or worthless, you cast. You, you throw. That's, that's, that's the word. It means to, to throw away. It's, it's, and what he's saying there is, and he goes on in verse 50, and shall cast. You see that in verse 50? And, and shall cast them. So this shows us what's coming. He's casting those wicked. We've separated them. We've divided them into those who, who believe and, and are just. Just means they. it's just as if they never sinned one time in their entire life. Wiped it all away. That I can stand before God guiltless. So he, that's the just. What does he do with the just? The just get to enter into his heaven to be with him. Enter into my, my throne room. Enter into my home, ye blessed of my Father, he says in Matthew 25. Come in. I like that term. Come in. So there's a come in to the just, and there's a casting away of the wicked. Do you get that? There's a come in and a cast away. There's a enter in, and there's a throw away. So he's going to cast away the wicked. 2 Thessalonians 1 says this, in describing the doom, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he shall punish with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. To those who don't believe in his gospel, the good news so the picture he gives us here is, again, of casting. Same word that we use for the, those who will cast their crowns before the feet of Jesus when they get into heaven. It's a picture of not toss. It's a picture of throwing. I watched my boys in the yard yesterday, and they were, I like that about this quarantine. We've played more outside than we ever have. My kids have become wiffle ball experts. 
One will stand on one end of the yard, one will stand on the other end of the yard. I don't like them having a close toss. Let's see those arms, boys. Let's see if you got an arm like your dad. <laughs> and they don't. I mean, they'll throw, and I want to make fun of them. One here and one there. They'll throw, and I'm like, you know, put something into it, man. Don't just, you know, no. I get out there and I throw them. Come on, here we go. I want to knock them down with it. That's what it means to throw, to cast. Like one get on that end, one get on that end, and, and fire it away. That's what this word means. It's the casting of crowns at his throne. That when we stand before him, it won't have anything to do with anything. I, what did I do to deserve this crown? He died. He was buried. He rose again. He drew me. He called me. He saved me. He kept me. He got me here. I deserve nothing. I'm just because he's the justifier. He deserves it all. I'm throwing it all on him. What did I do? but open my empty hands and say, yes, I believe. I'm casting my crown at His feet. That's what the word cast means. So when you get into heaven, give it all you got. When He hands you a crown, don't just stand there and pat, pat, throw. No, 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 you cast that thing. That's not even in my notes. That's just extra for today. <laughs> it's a word that means to, to cast into prison. I don't know how you prison guards do it at... at Wallens Ridge and Red Onion. But in those days, they'd take them and they'd grab them by their belt and they'd throw them. I'd say some of y'all wish you could do that to them. That's what the word cast is. A violent throw. Not an easy toss. Matthew 7 says, depart from me, I never knew you. Get out of my sight. Cast away. Am I spending too much time on cast? Matthew 25, 34, then shall the king say, I've already quoted it to you, unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you see the difference? The, the just say, come to me, and the wicked are cast away from him, out of the presence of the glory of Almighty God. Where are they cast into? <laughs> this is where it gets ugly. And they shall cast them where? Into a fun place. That's not what it says. I hear people say that, though, don't you? I heard somebody the other day on television that said, I'm going to hell because my friends are there. We're going to have a fun time. We're going to do whatever. We're going to party. It's a place for sinners, you know. It's a place where we can do whatever we want to do. They have no idea what hell is. This is the place of doom and destruction. I was watching Family Feud the other night. I got time. And the question was, name something you might find in hell. I thought, this will be interesting. And oh boy, it was interesting. The answers them people gave. One of them said air. And I thought, oh yeah, that's how you imagine hell. A place full of blowing, breezy air. People have no idea what hell is like. That's why Christians, we don't know. That's why we're not begging people to get saved. They don't know. That's why they're not running to the altar to be saved. Look what it says, cast into the furnace of fire. Understand this, that we will be given as Christians a resurrected, glorified body in which we can live in the presence of God in heaven for all eternity. 
This body cannot live. My earthly body cannot live in the presence of Almighty God and His glory and survive. I must be given a glorified resurrection body to to be able to, to be in the presence of my God. But get this. Also will unbelievers be given a resurrection body. Not to withstand the glory of God, but to withstand the burning fire of hell. So that they may be punished in that body. If they went to hell in their physical body, it would be burned up like that. Incinerated. So they are given a body to last. That's scary. Look what it says. Fire. The furnace of fire. First of all, the furnace means darkness. When you're thrown into a furnace, it's pitch black dark. Which means that darkness just closes in on them and there's not one bit of hope that they will ever see light again. Jesus is the light of the world and he does not light hell. It's pitch black darkness. Second, it's on fire. It's burning, suffering, unrelenting pain and torment and agony. The resurrected body of unbelievers, the new body, is there to be in agony and misery. Wow. That's that's enough, is it not? And third, it's everlasting. Which means forever. It's fire, it's a furnace, it's forever. That body will never be consumed. The worm never dies. Matthew 25, 46 says everlasting punishment. The fire never goes out and the light never comes on. And it goes on and on and on and on and on for eons of eternity. That's what's at stake. I'll give you another one if you want it. I said it's a furnace, it's a fire, and it's forever. And Luke 16 says there'll, there'll be no forgetting. The story of rich man and Lazarus. It says, remember how? Remember how? That constantly going through your mind for all eternity is all the memories that will haunt you forever and ever and ever. Remember when you heard the good news? Remember when that sweaty, screaming pastor stood up and told you that salvation has been made available to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and you rejected it and turned it down and that memory will haunt you for all eternity. Why didn't I believe? Why didn't I believe? Why didn't I believe? That is the doom of unbelievers. That is a description of hell. I could go on. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Some people say, oh, that's Paul's words. I think every word is the word of God. But when I see red words and I look at them and I say, Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody who has ever preached in the Bible. And if we want to be preachers like Jesus, we better preach on hell. That's the doom. And let me show you this. What is their response? They shall cast them in the furnace of fire. And there shall be what? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Same verse up in verse 40, I think it's verse 42. They shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You say, what's wailing and gnashing of teeth? This is such a terrifying thought. For me, this is. I don't know about you guys. This is very sobering. 
This is a heavy subject. This is a, a weighty subject. This is the kind of subject that, that would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck if you thought about it long enough. If you spent two or three days in your office studying on the agony of the hell, it, it, would, it would wear you out this week. And you stand up here and you're preaching it to a people who you, I know you know people who are going to hell right now. So this is hard to preach. But here it is, wailing, weeping, crying, loud shrieks. Can you imagine that? It's pitch black. You're in torturous pain. You have memories going through your mind all the time of what you should have done and what you could have done, but it's too late now to do it. And then the whole time you're hearing shrieks and wailing and crying of other people in misery. That's the experience of hell. This is is the doom of unbelievers. Not just that they will die, they will. And they'll be divided, and they will. But that their destiny is doom and damnation. As God personally pours out His wrath upon them for all eternity. Aren't you glad Jesus took that wrath in your place He bore that punishment on my behalf. My sins have been pardoned in Him so that they don't have to be punished on me. Oh, what good news. Salvation has been made available to you. Wow. And then it says gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. And I looked this up. Where is this phrase used from Genesis to Revelation? And the majority of the time, it's used in anger. That they gnash their teeth at Paul. Angry. So not only is it weeping and wailing, loud shriek, crying. It's anger, frustration, and hostility. Who are you angry at? I think they're throwing their fists up at God saying, how could you? That's a reality. And get this, here's where it gets serious. People are there now. Not in the ultimate end scene of hell, but in a form of hell in their spirits right now. That's scary. And here's what's even scarier. There are people alive right now that if they died today and was swept up in the net... They would go into eternity of hell. I'll take it even a step worse in the scary scale. There may be somebody in this room who if you were to die today, you'd be on the shores of eternity and spend it in hell. Why? Because you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is the fate of unbelievers. Don't you think for a second that this parable didn't resonate in, the, in the, the apostles' minds throughout the rest of their ministry. Why were they so bold? How were they so courageous? Why did they preach the way they preached and go where they went? How could they do that? Because they knew if they didn't, people were going to die and go to this hell. That picture was drawn in their minds. As everybody they preached to, they saw Good fish, bad fish. Good fish, bad fish. But in their mind it was saved, lost. Believe, unbelief. So they preached the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Evangelion. 
So in verse 51, and I'm closing. I'm having a hard time because I don't know when I, what time I started, so I don't know when an hour comes up. We just keep going. Verse 51, it says, Jesus said unto them, Do you understand these things? <laughs> Do you understand this parable? I think this is outstanding. Somebody should write a book on chapter 13 because he's saying, do you understand this parable? And do you understand all the other parables that I've told you? Because if you do, you're going you're to be working with a full cupboard. You're going you're to have a full deck. You're gonna, you're, you're, you understand it all. That's what he's saying here. Do you understand these things to the disciples? And they looked at him and they said, yes, Lord. We, uh, we understand what you've been telling us. And then he says in verse 52, it's, it's a little short parable on its own. Then he said unto them, therefore... Every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man. So he's saying everybody who understands these parables, watch this, is likened to a man that is a head of a household that brings forth out of his cupboard, I'm just giving you my, my translation there, out of his cupboard things that are both new and things that are old. He says if you understand these things, you're like a man who's a head of a household who goes back into his cupboard and he's got a full cupboard. The old scribes and the old Pharisees, they were dealing with half a cupboard or half a hand. But now that you understand these parables, you understand it all. You understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got it all. You, you're ready to go. You can go out and preach now. If you understand chapter 13 as a church, as a preacher, as Christians, you are dealing with a full hand when everybody else isn't. You get it. You're ready to go now What is what he's saying. So do you understand these things? That's my question to you. I know you said, I don't understand them all. But you've got the, you've got the gist of it. Now watch this. Watch this. This is good. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says this. Knowing therefore what you know. Some of you just said you understood. <laughs> before I tell you the consequence. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. You with me there? If you understand the terror and the fear of what's coming at the end of the world, then the outcome will be, I'll do everything in my power to persuade people to be saved. I have seen preachers stand up, and I've, I've, I've battled it before in my own ministry, and they'll stand up before a congregation of people, and they'll just say, take it or leave it. It ain't my job to persuade. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And I understand it's, it is the Holy Spirit's job to persuade men and to draw men and to change men and to work in men's hearts and to convict men. I get that. But the Bible tells me that I must persuade men. That it's my job in an invitation to look at you as Christians and tell you and persuade you, you need to go out to your lost loved ones and you need to go out to your lost friends and you need to go out to your lost family members and we think they have days, we think they have weeks, we think they have months, we think they have years, but we have no idea when their appointment with death is and we must go out and we must persuade them that they need to believe in Jesus Christ. Not that they need to go to church, not that they need to get baptized, not that they need to tithe, not that they need to, to do any of these works that, that they think might get them into heaven, but that they might get this, believe the only thing, the one thing, believe in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go out and tell everybody you see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation has been made available to you. 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's an old story about Mr. Armour. You guys ever bought Armour meat? Yeah, I think we all have. Armour makes some good bacon. It sizzles. <laughs> he got on a plane one time, Mr. Armour, the guy who his family built the company. And he sat down beside a man, as you do on an airplane. I think you've got to be six feet apart now. But used to be, you sit right on top of each other. And I would sit there and think, when those people would walk down the aisle coming towards me, I think they have no idea what they're sitting beside when they sit beside me. Man, it's on. Mr. Armour had a guy sit down beside of him and looked at him and said, said uh, you know, my name's this and what's your name? He said, I'm Mr. Armour. He said, well, what do you do for a living? And Mr. Armour replied th this way. He said, my job, this is what I do for a living, is to tell others about Jesus Christ. And I sell meat on the side. Our job, our primary duty in life is to tell others about Jesus. And what you do as career is just something you do on the side. This is our job. This is our duty. This is what he's telling them to do. This is what he's telling us to do. You go tell everybody you see, I've got good news for you. There is a Savior for you in Jesus Christ, if you'll just believe in him. That's the gospel. And if you're an unbeliever here today, <laughs> I don't know how you can sit in your seat. If you're online right now and you're an unbeliever, you probably turned me off a long time ago, or maybe the Holy Spirit has captured your attention and you're listening right now. I want to tell you something. There's a good possibility that you're going to die and go to hell very soon. That's to you today here too if you're an unbeliever. And if you die, you will go to hell and be doomed for all eternity. There is a 0.01% chance that you go outside these doors and you get the coronavirus. But there is a 100% chance that if you die without Jesus, you will go to hell. Listen to me on this, and I'm going to close. I think i got two minutes, or 20, I'm not sure. There is a 0.01% chance of us catching the coronavirus. And we have taken every precaution we can take to keep from getting it. Every precaution. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's good. This is what we've done. We don't want to catch that. We don't want to get that. It's, an, it's, it's a possibility. So we stay at home. We wear masks. I, I'm starting to look up designer masks. Brooks Brothers masks. You know. I mean, it's, just, it's an accessory now. That's what we do. That's a, we're, we're trying to protect ourselves from getting something very bad. 1.01% chance of something bad happening and we take every precaution to the point of shutting down the world. There is a 100% chance that if you die without Jesus, you will go to hell. And what are you going to do about it? You should be willing to take whatever precaution you can take to keep that from happening. And the only precaution that you can take, get this, is believing in Jesus Christ. Putting your full faith and trust in Him, salvation has been made available to you. Sitting in the pews today, to you, to you. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Anybody in this room, if you call upon the name of the Lord today, guess what He'll do? Save you. You'll have your sins forgiven. You'll be, have a future where you will escape hell and you'll enter into heaven one day with Jesus. And you can cast your crown at the feet of Jesus if you'll believe in Him. For me, and I'm going to close right now, 
That is the greatest news in the history of the world. That salvation has been made available to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, even the bitter truths. The book of Revelation says that he ate the scroll and it was sweet and it was bitter. I think that's what sermons like this are. They're sweet and they're bitter. They're good and they're bad. But God, everybody in here can walk out good, good news today if they know for a fact that they've placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that by your spirit, I've urged, God, I have. I think that's my job. I've pleaded. I've persuaded. I've done everything in my arsenal that I can do as a man to get people to believe. I don't know if there's anything else I can do. Now I leave it to you and the power of your spirit to work in hearts and to draw them into you. And I pray that you will. That you'll use this hellfire and damnation sermon. This sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon. To save someone in this room. To save someone online. And for us here as believers that you would use this sermon, God, please. To embolden us, empower us, and motivate us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as far and wide as we can. And let me close with this. Thank you for saving me. That I don't have to be scared of doom and damnation and destruction. That I have hope of heaven when I die. And God, I pray that I have had the right tone in the way I've preached this today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.